Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Is that too loud? I <laughs> know. It just surprised me. Yeah, okay. We're not used to being able to hear it. <laughs> See, there you go. We're not used to being able to hear it, she says. So, All right. So, yeah, let me know how this works out. But this is kind of an experiment all day. We'll probably need to make some changes or things to it. But uh, just want to make sure everybody can hear. But at the same time, we don't want to blow your eardrums out. So... Um, this seemed appropriate yesterday when we were testing. So, all right. So, let's see. We're in Revelations, or Revelation, I keep wanting to say Revelations, but Revelation chapter 5. Um, before we get started this morning, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We Thank you and praise you for all your blessings, all the wonderful things you've done for us, Father. We thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you for that miracle that you've given us that we can learn and know about you, Father, and know what you expect from us and what you want of us, Father. We thank you and praise you for your son who came and gave himself on the cross, Father, for us and made it possible for us to have this relationship with you as your children, Father. We thank you for all these wonderful things you've given us and we ask that you would lead and guide us in this study, help us to draw closer to you and closer to our Lord and be more like him every day, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we were in, we were in chapter five. Oh, I remember now, sorry. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through, 22 through 25. Now you might remember at the very end of class last week, Pat had made reference to the fact that Christ was going to give everything back to the Father. And we couldn't remember where that was. Jane looked it up for us on uh, Google. And uh, so that's these verses here that I'm going to read to you here because this is what Pat was mentioning. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. So that's when Christ at the end will turn everything back over to the Father. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. So that's what Pat was referring to last week. As much as we read Corinthians, I did not remember that being there like that either. But, you know, that's like like we were talking about when Dave was uh, speaking here the other week. Sometimes we read things, but we kind of gloss over or it just kind of flows through and it doesn't register, you know. But so, yes. What, what are some of the things included in everything Everything is everything, right? He says uh, he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, and he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he puts all enemies under his feet. So, okay, so maybe I shouldn't say, but he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, right? So that means he's delivering the church, the body of Christ, all of us. He's delivering... Um, Everything that we would say that is involved in the kingdom. Now, yes. Does it say that, uh, and he will sit down at the right hand of the Father? I think, in other words, he'll still be in power, but God will 
will be over all in all, I think. That's well, I didn't read past, or I didn't copy past verse 25. He says, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. But it doesn't say that he sits back down right there. Let's see if it says that past that point. It says that somewhere, but I don't remember. It does say that he sits at the right hand of the Father elsewhere, but I'm not sure if that's here. So let's see. I'm just going to start there. Okay. Well, then he goes on in verse 26. He says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, and this is probably why I was saying everything, because if you read a few verses down, when it says everything has been put under him, this clearly does not include the one who put everything under him. And when all things have been subjected to him, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put all things under him, so that God may be all in all. And this is just saying that God will be that supreme, sovereign ruler all in all, and that Jesus will put himself under God, of course. Um, but it doesn't say what you were saying. Okay. But that's elsewhere. We know it. We know the Bible says that. Just because I don't sure remember. That, I, just don't, I don't remember those small details. Like where it is. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I sometimes have trouble remembering where something is. I may remember, you know, that we've read it, that we know it. But so we're in chapter five of Revelation. Let's read uh, these verses here. Chapter five, um, verses eight through fourteen. Now, when he had taken the scroll, remember Jesus was taking the scroll. If you look at our picture up here, if you, if you like the imagery, I thought I would try to leave that up while we're reading this. Um, and this is where he's taken the scroll. He, was, uh, he is worthy to take the scroll. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Now we had looked at question eight, and we'd had uh, our reference back to 1 Corinthians, and we were ready for question number 9. So question 9, what did they proclaim in this new song? 
Right. The lamb was worthy to take the scroll, right? And to open its seals, because that's part of what we're getting into. We're going to be opening the seals. So he was worthy, and part of that is representative of him being worthy to execute God's plan. If you remember us talking about this last week, execute God's plan of redemption and judgment that's you know being prepared to happen here. So if we look at question 10, why did they deem the lamb worthy? Because of his sacrifice. Because of his sacrifice, right? Because he was slain and he has redeemed us with his blood, right? Mm -hmm. And thus he has made them, or he has made us, kings and priests to God. Now, in the New King James Version... The way that reads, it says us, as if the elders are referring to themselves. But if you look at the other translations, you'll see that it's made them. Because in verse 9, he's saying, uh, you have redeemed us. It's actually redeemed the people that he's referring to. Um, you have redeemed the people of every tribe, tongue, and people and nation. So it's really not just us, as in it was just those uh, those elders, but it's you've redeemed all the people of these tri every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made them kings and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So it's not just the elders saying this about themselves. It's really them talking about him redeeming everyone from every tribe and country and nation. So I just wanted to make that clear because the New King James Version does say that a little differently. Most other translations say that more clearly, I think. So it uses the word them. What do you have in the NIV? Is it, says it that the Lamb's blood uh, you were purchased for God, persons of every tribe, language, people, and nation, and you have made them kingdom to be a right. kingdom and priests to serve our God. Right. See, it's, it's talking about them. It's not just talking about themselves. They're talking about the ones that have been redeemed from the different tribes and nations. Okay, so I wanted to make sure that was clear because that, that reads a little, a little odd. Okay, does anybody have anything on that before we move to the next section? I think yeah? I was thinking of Hebrews 10 uh, verses 11 through 14 where it's talking about Jesus serving as a high priest. Right, so it's Hebrews 10, and that was verses 11 through 14. Yeah, so this is where you were, what you were talking about, Addy. Um, let me find that real fast. Since you were talking about that, we'll, we'll mention that here. Hebrews 10, verses, we'll go 11 through 14. So this is talking about Jesus uh, having made his sacrifice for us. Let's see. Am I in the right place? You said 11 through 14? 
Oh, yeah, this is correct. I'm sorry. So day after day, every priest stands to minister and to offer again and again the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, referring to Jesus, our priest and king, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And that's what Addy was talking about. He sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet, for everything to be put under his feet, because by a single offering he has made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified, which is us. Only he can make us like him. Only he can cleanse us and sanctify us. All right. So if we go to the next section here. Here we go. All right, so the next, I thought there was, I may be confusing myself, I apologize. Okay. All right, so question 11, what did John see and hear? This would have been referring back to verse 11. Right. He saw and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I imagine he is trying to relate to us a number that would just be impossible for us to count. Yes? It makes you think of the song we sing. He could have called 10,000 angels. Oh, yeah, well, yes, because he could have called 10,000 angels, right? And that, that does kind of remind you of that. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting because I think we often, in our imagination, envision these angels as these sort of quiet beings full of light, and, but they arrive with a message. But we think of them as kind of quiet and timid, but here they're the opposite of that. They're loud and they are a huge presence. Yeah, this this uh, makes it sound like they are a huge presence. They're being loud. They're really proclaiming this praise of of the Lord. Yeah. And, uh, and you may not think of them that way because they're messengers of God. You may think of them in a different way, but in this instance, that's how they're portrayed. Now, if we look at Hmm? I know that is hard to imagine because that would be a lot. That would be, well, it implies that it's loud because there's so many. But I, I feel like it's probably very beautiful. I wonder about that because he doesn't he doesn't make it sound like it's crushing him or anything. It's more like he hears this wonderful praise of the Lord, and yeah, it'd probably be very beautiful. That's that's a good point. Yeah. Does anybody have anything else on that? All right. Okay, so uh, question 12. What were they saying? What were these angels saying? How worthy the Lamb was. How worthy Christ was. Right, they're saying worthy. Yeah, worthy is the Lamb, right? They're saying worthy is the Lamb who was slain. 
to receive riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So they're praising the Lord. Yes. Um, they're doing this to confirm the fact that he is able to open the seals because he's worthy. Right. But the next chapter is going to show that. Right. This is because he is worthy to take the scroll and open the seals and, and execute God's plan like we were like we've been talking about. That's what's getting ready to happen. And all of this, why well, have a little note at the end? So but all of this is signifying that, right? Um, so with that in mind, if we if we look at uh, question 13, which relates to verse 13, what did John hear next? Right. It's like every creature in creation is praising him, right? It's like every creature. And I don't know what that would sound like either. To, to Jane's previous point, this would be another thing. I think as children, we, we thought we could talk to animals or we would imagine that a pet was speaking back to us when we were children. And I know many of us read Dr. Doolittle and, and you know, oh, yeah. the animals, <laughs> like Dr. Doolittle. This yeah. is not a fairy tale pretend story. No, this is every creature in whatever way praising praising the Lord. Did you have something bad? I was just going to say, you know, we're reading this and we're saying, well, that's awesome, but John was there and he actually saw it. Right now, John, yeah, John saw it and heard it. Now he's and he's trying to describe this again, and I think it's it would be really hard to describe something to someone you have no, um, there's nothing that you can relate it to to help people understand. Right? It's that's why sometimes we hear these descriptions of some of these, like the like the voice being the sound of many waters or whatever. It's just a uh, you know, it's just a sound that they, they, they're having a hard time describing. Now, this specifically kind of reminds us of every knee will bow, right? Mm -hmm. Because when that time comes, yeah, every knee is going to bow. Everyone's going to acknowledge Christ. So that kind of reminds us of that. And then if we look at uh, question 14... And this is kind of a vague question, just as what happens then, but, but he's referring to verse 14. And it's, it's really just very simple. Um, the four living creatures say, they say, Amen, right? And then the elders worship, they fall down and worship him who lives forever and ever. So it is just that simple. That's what he was looking for as far as the workbook goes. But all of this, to uh, to the different points we've been making here, all this is signifying that Jesus is worthy of praise and honor and worship equal to God. And it also recognizes that God has given him all authority in the matter of this judgment and redemption of executing his plan, which we are getting ready to read more about in the next chapters. Yes? It's interesting, too, that uh, nobody else is given that honor. It's not given to the so-called Virgin Mary, who the Catholics worship. Right. It's not given to anyone else. It's not given to Mary, and uh, and and right. It's not given to the elders or any of the saints. And 
And I mean, if you talk about, you know, Mary and the saints, uh, from the Catholic perspective, it's totally different. They, I don't, I don't know where they have their idea from, but they, uh, they, they still believe that Mary is a mediator for them, which she's not. We know biblically that's not true. Jesus is the only mediator. And then for some reason, the Catholic Church wants to assign sainthood, but that's not the way that works either. The Lord makes us saints, not the Catholic Church. So, and you can't pray. We, we don't pray to each other. We pray with each other, right? So, I mean, because they would have you pray to saints too, which is strange, but. On and that's just totally off topic, but anyway, that's uh, we could talk about things like that all day because it's it's confusing to other people who don't. If you don't actually read the Bible and uh, study for yourself, I you know people get very confused about these things. Yes, um, I think what it's showing is that all of heaven is praising and glorifying Him. Everything was praising at that time, yes. And I, again, imagining, trying to imagine that sound. I, I don't know what that would be like, yes. Up until this time, you know, we've learned about Jesus' life and his apostles and what he taught them. And we know that he is so special because he's God's son. But now this is icing on the cake when we see all this glory given to him by the Almighty. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, this is seeing him getting that yeah, icing on the cake is probably not a bad, uh, probably not too bad of a analogy there. But, uh, yeah, we see him getting all the praise and glory that he's due. And, you know, the Lord deserves all of that for what he's done. So we're getting ready to read, uh, chapter 6, and this first section of chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, is going to be about these four horsemen. So I put this image up here. This is, of course, again, our the artist's rendition of this. Um, I think it's, I think it's fair enough. I think it will, it will give us a, a good idea. So let's talk about Revelation chapter 6 here. This is mainly about the four riders and the first six seals. Um, now, the workbook author suggests that uh, some of these things are tied to historic events. I really just, you know, want us to look at how these things, you know, what we can learn from these things and apply these lessons here in our lives. Uh, some of these events and some of these things can be looked at as things that happen in cycles throughout time, down through history. You can see these different things occurring. But we'll, we'll talk about that, and it's things that, because it does occur down through time, and there's cycles of these things, the church has to be able to contend with these things, right? And I mean the Lord's church, the whole body of Christ, not just a congregation here or there. But, and it will affect some more than others, of course, due, due to location in the world. 
So we want to look at uh, the first question, of course, is always, you know, what's the main topics of the chapter? And uh, verses uh, 1 through 8 will be about the four horses and their riders. Then we'll have verses 9 through 11 about the souls under the altar. And then verses 12 through 17 will deal with um, what they termed cosmic disruptions I, I, in the day of the Lamb's wrath. And I would just say it's a lot of destruction. Okay, a lot of bad stuff happening. But that's okay. So let's read the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 6. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And the power, no, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So if we look at question two, and this kind of spans over the chapter, but I think we can easily uh, answer this. Who, who's opening these seals? The Lamb, Jesus, Christ, right? Yes. All, I mean, he's opening the seals. So all these times where, sorry if I rang there, um, all these times where John says he, when he opened the seal, whatever seal that is, he's referring to the Lamb, he's referring to. Jesus opening the seals. So, what is seen when the first seal is opened? What do we see there? The white, the white horse, a white rider, right? Yes. A rider on a white horse. Mm -hmm. Right, a rider with a bow on a white horse, and you're right, with a crown who has a victorious crown. That is a victorious crown. It signifies victory. Uh, and he is going forth on conquest, to conquest, to conquer. Yeah, to conquer. That's the actual verb. Anyway, and the idea is that he represents political and military force that is being on conquering that we see throughout history. Um, 
This rider having the crown of victory and a bow able to defeat his enemies from afar. Now, this is a rider. Uh, I want us to realize that, it, and it says this is a rider. It says the rider, let me see that. Um, so I say it right. Behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. Okay. But it doesn't say he's a rider specifically, does it? Anyway, I was looking at this as this is not really a depiction of, some people may think this is a depiction of Jesus, but really if we look at uh, chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, we'll get a depiction of Jesus that is not the same, but I can see that there's some similarities. If we, if we read that, Chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. This is in Revelation. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now that's a description of Jesus. This, this first horse here, this white horse, is not a description, is not, uh, is not Jesus. But like these other riders, it's going to represent different things. When you read that description about him, um, yes. being uh, the word of God, Back in John, the first chapter, the first verse, it says, In the beginning was the Word, <clears throat> was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right. John ref often refers to Jesus as the Word of God, right? Just like he did in the beginning of his gospel. He does that in his, uh, is it his first epistle? I think he also refers to Jesus that way, or he alludes to that. Um so, yeah, that's how John looks at and refers to Jesus as the Word of God. So, then, then the second question here is what was given to this writer, and maybe I jumped past that by accident, but we did talk about that. He was given a bow and a crown, and that crown is a, is a crown of victory. Now, if we look at, yeah, so if we look at question four, what or who is seen when the second seal is opened? Right, a rider on a fiery red horse, right? And what was given to that, that rider or that spirit or whatever it may be. A sword. A sword, right? It was given a sword, a great sword. 
I looked in the commentary and said, the sword of the judgment takes away peace from the earth. When men should be loving one another and helping each other, there they are in a state of war, killing one another. Right, and that goes along with what this says about he has the authority to take peace from the earth, that people should kill one another. And that's that's what this basically I mean to simplify it, we would we would say this one represents war, right? Just to simplify it. So now what is seen when the third seal is opened? This is a different one. This is the rider on the black horse, right? Right, and he's called famine a lot of times. A lot of times he's referred to as famine. And sometimes that is true. Sometimes after war there is famine. So that that makes that can make sense. I'm not going to say that's a hundred percent always, but yeah, that can really be a case, be the case sometimes. And you know, we talk about physical famine, but uh, when we're warring against Satan. Sometimes we have spiritual famine. We need to go back to the Word of God. <clears throat> the Word of God because we're spiritually sick. Yeah, we don't want to have spiritual famine. That's true. Yeah, we don't. Society, society seems to have a spiritual famine. Yeah, I know what you mean there. Yeah, that that and that's sad. That's um, so. Then what is heard when he sees this? This rider, this this third rider, and horse. He does have a pair of scales, right? Mm -hmm. He has a pair of scales, and there's a voice that John hears says, "A quart of wheat for a denarius." Now, a denarius back then would have been basically on average, a day's wage, okay? So a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So often called famine, and it does represent, you know, a lack of uh, a lack of things, kind of a supply and demand thing. I think that this writer is representing, due to the scales, also the the economy and problems with that demand and supply and the the problems we see. Of course, I am a little, I am relating this a little bit to our current, you know, world and issues that we see. So bear that in mind. But, uh, but that's how, uh, how I was looking at this writer. Now then, oh, does, it, does anybody have anything? I'm sorry. Could these prices that are shared here, um, during that time, would that have signified some inflation? That would have signified inflation, I believe, yes. Because this is saying, you know, your your wheat, your bread that you need for sustenance is going to be expensive. And uh, and your barley, which is another, <coughs> I, I forget what all they use the barley for, but that too is used for some bready things and used for other stuff. But, no. but basically implying that your food is going to be more expensive and more scarce. Yes. Yeah. Right. 
It is a struggle. And, and the same way in this reading, you know, they were struggling. And that's what this is referring to, people struggling to pay to have food to eat. Like we talk about the price of eggs is four bucks a dozen, right? I mean, it's ridiculous, right? So, I mean, if for us today, we would say something about eggs probably because that's a big thing right now. Everybody complains about the price of eggs being ridiculous. So, um, because what? Well, but it's gone up a lot. So, it is a lot higher than it was. But they're using what, what their basic idea of food was in this description and that makes that makes sense for them. Does anybody have anything else on on this? Alright. So what about the fourth seal? What is seen how would you describe this fourth guy, I guess? We'll say it's a guy. I don't know. Scary, yeah, scary is, yeah, that's probably not bad. Um, so, he's described as death, right? Death riding on a pale horse. Um, and there's some differences on that horse, actually. Um, you'll see pale horse, I saw ashen, some say green, but the idea is that the horse is, I think, kind of sickly or scary in some way just just throwing that out there that's the way that's what that made me think of um and hades followed him now in this case we're talking about death right we're talking about just saying death and hades followed him so in this case this hades represents that sat those satanic forces of hell because he's already death he's already represented here so and that's those satanic forces that we, you know, we have to deal with in life. All right. So I think we're going to stop here. I didn't realize we were out of time. I apologize. I have some other references for us to look at next week that are in the Old Testament that relate, I believe, to these writers as well. And it will give us some context for this that I think will help us. So uh, thanks for your time and your attention. We'll pick up here next week.